Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. Hey, if you have a Bible this morning, I'm going to invite you to open to the book of John, chapter 4. John is the fourth of the uh, stories of Jesus called the Gospels, and we're going to be in chapter 4. If you need a Bible, you can put in your lap. Feel free to grab one from the sides of the tech booth. If you are a user of the Bible app, you can open up the app and find our live event and track along with all of that. Uh, a big hello to those of you watching online. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm glad you do so. If you want to communicate anything to us, just let us know via the comment section of whatever platform you're watching on. And for those of us in the room, those little cards in front of you. If you haven't already filled one out and you want to, please feel free to do that and just drop it in the box on the way out the door. Um, quick survey in here. We'll just do this section by section, okay? Quick survey in here. Uh, preferably if you are, I, I don't know, uh, of the younger sport because old people have a lot of opinions and we hold them dearly. Yes? <laughs> That's the most true thing you've said already. Okay, good. Uh, over here, this section right here, your favorite, or let, let, let's put it as best. Here's the question. Your best, the, the best Star Wars movie. Okay, Empire is what I heard first. This section right here. The New Hope, okay. Empire. Return of the Jedi, okay. Um, for those of you who said something other than Empire, we're so sorry that you were wrong. However... We're glad that you're here, and that way you can come into alignment with the rest of the world. Um, Empire is obviously the best one, okay? Like, not only great storytelling on the front end and that kind of thing, but, but, can, can everybody, like, get into the emotional and mental place where you're holding on to the Empire Strikes Back at the very, very end? Like, at the very end. Luke's in the little medical ship, and he's trying to figure out if, how his hand's going to work, yeah? And then you see Lando and Chewie fly off to go find Han Solo. And you just think, how is it going to end, people? Like, you can't leave me hanging. George Lucas, please don't leave us for two years. This is the impact that it has on us. Last week, we saw the story of this lady who encountered Jesus at this, at this well. Samaritan woman, rejected by society for, for um, reasons that uh, uh, you may or may not understand, you may or may not identify with, but nonetheless, rejected by society. Um, and then she encounters Jesus at this well. And um, he speaks to her about living water. And living water is available for all those who are thirsty. And then the question that, that we, we are kind of left with where we stopped last week. What's the end of the story? That, that's the question we need to get to today. Not only is it great storytelling on the front end, which Jared did such a great job with last week, but then now we've got to figure out how does this thing end? And I'll just go ahead and give you the headline. People who encounter Jesus and are changed by him, who drink deeply from the living water that he provides. That's chapter 4. To say it in chapter 3 language, those who are born again, those who become worshipers of the Messiah, those people are turned into witnesses. And that's how the story ends. So John chapter 4, I'm going to pick up in uh, verse 16 just to give us a little bit of context here, and then uh, we'll, we'll move forward. In verse 16, this is after living water. This is after her saying, oh, I really, really want this. Here, here's what we have next. Jesus confronting her with their sins. She says, he, he said to her, go, call your husband, come here. The woman answered her, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying I have no husband. You've had five husbands, and the guy you have now, he's not your husband. 
What you've said is true. Her mail just got read, folks, and she's like, nah. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Okay, two things. No duh, right? No duh. And secondly, what is she expecting next? She is expecting condemnation. Because every prophet who shows up on the scene is like, you big bunch of sinners, how dare you? And they just unload all of this stuff, right? She's expecting that. So she asked this question. Uh, hey, uh, so our fathers worship on this mountain, Gerizim. That was the mountain she's referring to. You say that Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. What you got? Because if I'm such a bad sinner, five marriages, guy I'm shacked up with now is not my, not my husband. Like, if I'm such, how am I supposed to get right with God? Because I can't do it here because you said it's not there. And I can't go there because they don't allow me, people like me to go there. What am I supposed to do? And this is the context in which Jesus responds. Jesus said to a woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know, meaning like you don't really get the context of everything. Um, But we worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews, but the hour is coming and indeed is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people. He is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And she says, back to him, woman said to him, I, I know that the Messiah is coming, the, the one who's called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all these things. Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Now, this, this is the first time, the earliest time, the first time, where Jesus has clearly said to somebody, hey, you're looking for the Messiah? Here I am. This is first time. First time this has happened. To a woman who's been an outcast, who's not a, a, uh, um, a, a Jew by uh, uh, lineage and, and genealogy. And so two, two things I want to just highlight today as we, as we think about this. The first one is <clears throat> the Father seeks worshipers. Did, did you see that in verse 23? Hours coming, now is when the worst, true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Now, I want to be clear about this. Um, This is not activity. If God wanted more worship, it would be so much better for him to create more angels. Because they do it better than we do. I mean, like if God wanted more worship, I mean, you see these uh, uh, um, pictures in the Bible where people have these visions of heaven. John and John chapter, in uh, the writer of this gospel in Revelation chapter four, he's like, okay, so there was this throne. He, he didn't even have words for it. It was kind of like a rainbow, but there was some thunder. And I really don't know. He just runs out of words. There were these things flying around. The Father dwells in an environment of worship. It's not, I mean, like, just His sheer presence and glory calls forth praise from everything around. And so, if He wanted more worship, activity-wise, He would just create more angels. They'd do it way better than we do. But that's not what's happening here. The Father isn't seeking worship, not activity. He's seeking people. Did you see it? For the Father is seeking such people. Such people. To worship it. What he knows about us is true, is that our hearts, we are made as people to worship. And we worship all kinds of other things. We worship 
Um, uh, money and power and fame and uh, uh, adventure and um, I mean like we could just be influence um, uh, we worship um, the, the, the kind of uh, uh, experiences that, that we think define we, we could keep going and going and going and going this is not activity that he's after he's after people and listen who is Jesus speaking to he's speaking to a woman with this in, just Pass. I mean, like, pass. Like, she's got a U-Haul full of baggage behind her. And he says to her, not only is living water yours for all of the deepest thirsts of your soul, but the Father is seeking you. The Father is seeking you. It's the gospel it's the story of living water coming to thirsty people. It's the story of new birth coming to those who think that because of their birth, they're already in. It's that kind of story, the gospel story, that creates, that reorients our hearts away from the things that God has, uh, that, that uh, we, we tend to worship on our own and the proclivities that we have. And it, it reorients us to Jesus. It reorients us to the Messiah. That's why he says, uh, later she says, hey, I know the, the Messiah is coming. The one who's called the Christ, he's going to tell us this stuff. Jesus is like, I'm your guy. I'm your guy. It's the story of Jesus that brings us to that living water changes us. And so one of the questions that I get so uh, every so often as a pastor, it's, I'll go ahead and get it here. Um, well, isn't this a little narcissistic? I mean, like God's like, hey, I'm creating worshipers. Come on, aren't you supposed to be like the most selfless, um, you know, kind of others-centered, um, this kind of thing, God? I mean, like, why are you calling it? Here's, the, the question is, is it narcissism? And the answer is no. It's actually the greatest gift that he could give us because I want you to hold on to this, this particular principle. What we behold in our worship is what we become. And so if you're holding on to money... Like you're setting your eyes on a particular goal or a particular uh, level or a particular income, whatever it may be, you will become just like that. If you're setting your eyes on power, then you will become just like that. If you are setting your eyes on, on fame, if you're setting your eyes on adventure, if you're setting your eyes on, on physical prowess or strength, if you're setting your eyes on a relationship or a set of relationships, if you're beholding those things, you will become like them. What you behold in your worship is what you become. And so, when, and just pause and say, and when we do that, those are things that lead to death, ultimately. There's a way that seems right to a man or a woman, Proverbs says. But in the end, it's death. So when God says, I'm seeking people to worship me like this, what he's saying is, I want you and I want you. He doesn't need more worship. He's got plenty of angels for that. He's saying, I want you because the greatest gift that I could give you is to reorient your life and your heart away from the worship of the things that are killing you and reorient you toward me, the one who will give you life. Living water is ours. Living water is ours. So just, there's plenty of places we could sh- turn in the scriptures. This is my favorite one. Psalm 115. I think pretty sure it's in the Bible app. Um, 
just, here we go. Here we go. Uh, Psalm 115, verse 1. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. There's worship right there. Why? Because of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Because of his love and his faith, let's give him glory. And then, verse 2. Why should the nations say, where is their God? There will be always people, always, there will always be people who look at you and me and go, oh yeah, where's your God now? And the answer of verse 3, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever He pleases. God is exactly where He's always been. And He's doing the things that are ultimately and finally good for the earth and for the people that He loves. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Verse 4, their idols, so let's contrast now. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. Our God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. That's what Jesus said. Their idols are silver and gold. Verse 5, they have mouths, but they don't speak. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have ears, they don't hear. Cry out all you want to to the idol of your choice. It won't say anything back. It doesn't see where you are. And it can't hear you when you cry out. They have noses, but they don't smell. They have hands, but they don't feel. They have feet, but they don't walk. Don't expect your idol to get up and come running for you. They don't even make a sound with their throat. Verse 8. Here it is. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. What you behold in our worship is what you become. Those who make them become like them, and so do those who trust in them. What you behold is what you become. So the question, is it an narcissism? No, 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 no. It's the gift. It's a gift. It's a, it is a gift of God to us to, to pull us away from the things um, that bring us down, bring us to death, and put us on himself who, brings us, who uh, gives us life. So... <clears throat> What do those worshipers look like? Like, what are the marks of those worshipers? Well, um, and we'll just talk about it in, in this particular context, since this is the context in which we are. Talk about it in this particular context. Worshipers, when they gather with other worshipers, they, they can be marked by three things. Number one, they can be marked by joy. Th- this is the case of the woman. She's like, you die, man. Living. Oh, yes. Some of us come into a setting like this, and this is this is the reality. They're like, man, I hope they sing that song about lifting your hands, because I put on extra deodorant today, and I am ready. Like, clear some space. I'm going to throw a fit right here. We're going to have to... Pardon me. Could you scoot down a chair? Excuse me. Could you... I need some space here to, to, to just get my life um, into the worship arena and you need to move. Otherwise, we will be unfriendly. And I don't want to be that. I, I need this right here. I'm going to throw up my hands and praise you again and again. I hope they sing that song today because my hands are already lifted. I'm coming in the door with my hands lifted. I am ready. Some of us come in like that. Amen. You come in like that? Good. Do it. Because some of us need you. Like, we, we, we need that for you. In particular, I, I just, I, I'm not, uh, um, uh, let me just say it positively. Listen, when guys sing, when the men sing, people are like, hold up a second. And when they get physically expressive, we throw up our hands and praise you again and again. 
There's nothing that our God can... All your promises, God, are yes and amen, and my heart cannot contain the joy. Watch what's coming out of me. We need that. We as a people, we need that. Worshippers express themselves like this. In part, because there's some of us who come in with longing. And that is, God... God it, I am not there today. It feels just a touch dry in me. But man, I wish I was there. Like I'm watching that guy. I'm watching that guy worship. I'm looking down the row. I'm hearing her sing. Like I, 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 I wish that I was there. I, what I'm bringing to you, God, is the longing for me, to, my heart to connect to your heart like their hearts are connected to your heart. Like I want in on their action. Like I, I need that. So part of the reason we sing out loud and sing together is because some of us need to express our joy. And part of it is because some of us have this longing that we're like, God, I want you, and I want you to do something in my life, and I want you, in this moment, I need you to do something in my heart. I, I'm longing for this. If you've been around, you kind of know this. Uh, you, you've, I've used this illustration about, about every three or four years. I do not own, just for clarity's sake, I do not own any portion or part in a Mexican restaurant around here. Okay, I just want you to know that. But some of you will go to a Mexican restaurant after this and you will sit and you will be enjoying your chips and queso, chips and salsa, whatever your chips and whatever. And your food will come and your enchiladas will be there and the person sitting across from you will have ordered a taco salad and it will be great. All will be well in your world. You've got chips and salsa and queso, enchiladas, taco salad. You're good. Until the people in the booth next to you have ordered the fajitas. <laughs> and you hear it coming from the kitchen. And about a second and a half after you hear it coming, you smell it coming. Because it's on the platter, it's got the onions underneath, the peppers, and the it's just aroma is just rising off of it. And all of a sudden, you are completely dissatisfied with your enchiladas, and you're judging the person across from you who you love dearly for ordering a taco salad at a Tex-Mex place. Why did we? Why did we waste our time on this? Their meal created longing in you for something better than what you had. There are times when, listen, in the pastor's life, where what I'm bringing, what I'm bringing to him is longing. And I'm listening to my kids sing, and I hear my wife singing, and the person behind me is just honking off, and I'm just like, yes, that, that, that is building my faith. That's building my faith. I won't, I won't settle for just a religious moment. I want, I long for an encounter with him. Just quickly. The, the last little portion of this is sometimes we just bring sorrow. God, I'm not at joy. Honestly, I don't really have much longing, but I showed up. And the best I have to offer you is I got into the room. I'm pretty sure my kids are still alive. I think I'm here. 
and the songs are on the screen, and the um, creed was being read, and I had a coffee cup, and what I offered to you was, I'm raising my coffee cup, God, that's what I got. I feel like I'm at the beer garden there in New Braunfels, just raising a glass. Here I go, God, this is what I got. I don't have anything to offer you. I don't have anything. There's no joy in me, but I made it. The sorrow that I feel over that is, God, you're worth far more than I'm bringing to the table right now. And I don't have much to give you. In fact, I'm out. I'm just out. And in that moment, listen to me, in that moment, your sorrow is your worship. To say to him, I put my body in the room. I showed up with his people. And listen, the, the, the biblical word for this is confession. We're pretty terrible at it in the American church. But the, the reality is, is that the more we confess those things, like the psalmist do, hey God, I'm living in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. That's me. And the more we confess those things, the more our heart aligns with the truth of who God is. He's seeking worshipers. Worshipers. Not worship. Worshipers. There are two particular ways that the Bible measures this in the New Testament. The, the first way is, how does it affect our body? That's joy, longing, sorrow. Um, that is, um, like, are, are there things that are true about me today because I worship that were not true beforehand? Like, are there, are there realities that have transformed me? Are there the ways that I am living today? This is Romans 12, 1. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. And, and this is your spiritual worship. Are there th- realities about me that are true today, that were not true before I gathered with God's people to worship. That's, that's part one. That's one metric for it. The second one is witness. All throughout the Bible, when people worship, they become witnesses. And that's the theme of the day. Our worshipers, these worshipers are turned into witnesses. I just want to give you three um, phrases straight out of the text here to highlight. Let's start in verse uh, 30, uh, excuse me, 27. Just then the disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. They shouldn't have... Because Jesus just clearly, okay, nobody did more for the value and dignity of women than Jesus. Nobody. Don't let a religious institution tell you otherwise, ladies. I don't have time for all that right now. I'm just telling you. Jesus loves you deeply. And he dignifies you with important things to do. I don't have time for the rest of that. What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar, put it all down, went, <coughs> excuse me, went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of town and were coming to him. So here's, here's the first part. This testimony. This testimony is this. Come see a man who told me everything that I've ever done. Now, when she says this, do you think it's with, oh my gosh, come see a man who told me. Or do you think it's y'all, 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 you, you got to come see this. It's joy, right? It's joy. But here's the question. How does a woman like that, with all of the stuff that is in her past, with all of the baggage that she's hauling around, with all the stuff that's tucked in the U-Haul, like how does a woman like that come to joy to say, yes, come look, come look, come look. Here's a guy. He told me everything. This has got to be our guy. 
And the answer is grace. Only grace takes the story of sin and shame where it reigned and ruled in our life and was this tyrannical force in our life and turns it into, oh man, let me tell you about where I was. And Jesus destroyed all of that and washed me clean. He cleaned my slate at the empty grave. Only grace can take shame Turn it into testimony. And church family, from this section over here to that section over there, this is exactly what he wants to do in all of our lives. Living water really does slake the thirst of those who come to him. It's grace through and through. And then it just looked, here's what she knew. She knew that he was the Messiah. He said so. I'm a guy. She knew he was the kind of Messiah who knew her thoroughly. Every thought, action, deed, attitude, misplaced desire, all the ways that she had stuck it in the ditch, he knew her thoroughly and still loved her. If there's one thing to walk away with today, may God give you room on the shelf of your life to know that he knows you thoroughly and loves you. He's the kind of Messiah. He is the Messiah. And he's the kind of Messiah who knows exactly who he's dealing with and loves him. And he's the kind of Messiah um, who loves her with a love that changes everything. This is true for her. It's true for Samaritan women at a well. It's true for southeastern Houston suburbanites. Let's keep going. Verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. He said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know anything about. I don't think he's kidding there. I think he was sustained by doing the will of God. If anybody's ever been in a place where you've been working, 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 doing something that is important, doing something you enjoy, doing something that's, that's good for you to do, and you look up and you're like, dang, it's 3 o'clock. I didn't eat breakfast. I didn't eat lunch. Whatever. This is that kind of thing. Jesus said to him, my food is to do the will of him who sent me um, to accomplish his work. Don't say, yet there are four months when it comes to harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for harvest. There's the next phrase. Opportunity is the fields are white for harvest. Look, verse 36. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages, gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you did for that for which you did not labor. Others have labored. You have entered into the labor. Opportunity. The fields are wide under harvest. When he says, look up, look up and see that the fields are wide under harvest. Here's the question. Was he thinking about that field over there? Like, or like, maybe that one on the other side of the county or, you know, on the other side of that mountain range, there's a field. Think about that one. No, no, no. What's he talking about? He's talking about the fields that are right here. Because if he's saying, lift up your eyes, look, look and see that the fields are white, then it has to be actually in their sight. I'm saying that to say this, church family, opportunities arise and, and God gives us these opportunities to do things in other places. The vast majority of the opportunities that are in front of us are where? Right here. With our people, at your workplace, in your um, friendship circle, on your street, at the ball field. 
The opportunities are there. And don't think for a second that what you do or don't do in that moment doesn't matter. It does. This is what he says. Like, uh, some sow and some reap, but they get to rejoice together. Church family, listen to me. There may be prayers that you are praying right now that you won't see the fruit of, but know that a hundred years from now, you'll be standing there and you will rejoice with the ones who reap the fruit of you sowing the prayer. I extended an invitation to somebody. I don't know if they'll ever come or not. That may change the direction of somebody's life and you may never know it. Just because you sow and don't see the reaping doesn't mean what you do isn't important. And if you think to yourself, yeah, I mean, like all of this stuff, cool stuff, kingdom stuff's happening to me. Like, this is amazing. I get to be a part of this. Don't for a moment think that you're the only one there because somebody planted that seed that you're reaping the harvest of. The fields are wide in the harvest. Last thing, verse um, 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So that's where they started. She just pointed people to Jesus, and that's good. He told me all that I ever did. That was the testimony. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. He stayed there two extra days. He's like, yeah, well, we can shift schedule here. Um, And many more believed, listen, because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. She stood there and pointed to Jesus. This is the way it is supposed to be. It's how it's supposed to work. Point to Jesus. And and then because they encountered Jesus... They believed. But because they're like, yeah, we hear what you're saying. We think that's pretty amazing. We want to go check this out. We, we're starting the process of faith. And then they encountered Jesus himself and it changed them. Listen, that's what our job is. You want to talk about opportunities and you want to talk about what this means. The, the transformation that comes in people's lives happens because um, we point people to Jesus. They encounter him and they believe on their own terms. We've heard ourselves. Boy, we know that this is the guy. Last thing I want to say about this. Here it is. She was able to trust Jesus with her sin. Go call your husband. Well, um, she was able to trust Jesus with her sin. But when she went skipping, dancing back into town with the message of joy, she was also able to trust Jesus with their sin. Why is that important? Because there are people in the world who sin like me, and I tend to like them. People who sin like me, they're my people. People who don't sin like me, they make me nervous. I don't like their version of sin. It's uniquely sinful. If I can trust Jesus with my sin, then I can trust Jesus with their sin too. Just because they don't sin like me doesn't mean that I can't trust them with their sin. All I have to do is stand and point. Come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done, who has changed my shame into this amazing story. I I got ambushed along the way by this God, and he has subsumed my life into the story that he is telling. And I'm just pointing to him right now. 
And yeah, your sin may look different than mine, but I'm telling you, he's living water. All of that stuff that you long for, all of that thirst that is expressing itself in all the ways that you're doing right now that are self-destructive and, and, and problematic, listen, he's the, he's the answer that you're really looking for. He really is. We pray for the day that they themselves come to hear for themselves and to know. So let me ask you this single question, and I'm going to pray. Here's the question. Do you need to hear more that the Father is seeking you to be his worshiper? Or do you need to hear more? Just think about your life. Do you need to hear more that he's sending you as a witness to the places where he wants you to go? Let me pray. Uh, Father, make that uh, question real for us. Um, don't, Don't let us wiggle out from underneath the weight of it. And I ask um, that as you continue to speak to people, remind them of the things that are important. Maybe even uh, shape the way that they think about their week. God, as you do those things, I pray that the response at the heart level of our lives is yes, Lord. You you have loved us, yes. You are worthy of our allegiance, yes. Wherever you send us, yes. However it goes for us, yes. Let that be our story in Jesus' name. Amen.